Gracious Father in heaven, we uh, come to your word hungry to be fed and thirsty to drink what you have to give to us from the fountains of living water. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak in this place today to your children who are here to listen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. You may be seated. Now, it, was t- tempting, it would be tempting to tackle that uh, gospel passage because Jesus kind of sounds like he's being mean. I'll just say, uh, if you understand the context, he's not. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, I was I was taking my daughter to preschool the other day, and um, I I was talking to her in the car like Elmo. <laughs> oh, Elmo, so happy you're going to school. <clears throat> um, and she, of course, was eating it up and, and loving it. And uh, the conversation came to an end, and then we got to school, and she had this plan in her mind that I didn't know about, and we got into the preschool classroom, and there's other kids and the teachers there, and, and she starts insisting that I talk to everyone like Elmo. And I, I, my face is turning red, and I'm like, what are you talking about, Elmo? Who's that? You know, it, just totally so embarrassing. Uh, preaching, uh, speak, dressing a congregation, a bunch of people can be like that. Sometimes in uh, private, you hear God uh, say, this is what I want you to speak on or say this. And you're like, God, oh, really, do I have to say that? Um, it, because there's always a fear of being misunderstood or offending someone or embarrassing myself. Uh, but that, that's just kind of a word on preaching, whether or not that's incredibly uh, tied to today. I'd really just want to tell you the story about Elmo and do my impersonation. Um, <laughs> But but I do feel the Lord calling me to kind of just share from the heart today some things. So it might be sort of a sermon, a sort of a reflection on Second Timothy, but also just a little bit about a vision for the church and where I am in my heart. And um, yeah, I'm excited. So I just want to share some things with you. Um, look at Second Timothy chapter one in your Bible or in your bulletin. This is a wonderful, wonderful passage. We talked a little bit about the Timothy passages in the last few weeks. Now, um, Paul is writing, St. Paul is writing to his uh, young protege, if you will, Timothy, uh, who, who's a younger man who has uh, been ordained to church leadership as a presbyter uh, in the church. And uh, Paul is writing to him and... He says this, I'm moving down a little bit into the passage. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. Now, Paul is, uh, he's encouraging him. Timothy, uh, you can just kind of get the, we only have one half of the correspondence because we have Paul's letters to Timothy. We don't have anything from Timothy to Paul. But what you gather if you read the two letters is that Timothy was, uh, prone to timidity, maybe even cowardice, had some uh, physical ailments, some stomach issues, uh, things like that, actually, Paul says in the Gospels. And so Paul is, um, rather than scolding him, he's encouraging him, and he's calling out the best that he sees in Timothy. He says, you're, I, I re, before this, he said, I recall your tears, you know, tears that when they last parted, Timothy was just overwhelmed in the Holy Spirit, just so, so, so broken that Paul and he, because they were so close, had to part ways. And he said, it just fills me with joy to think about getting to see you again. So he's encouraging him and he says, now your grandmother and your mother's faith, that strong faith in the living God, I know that it lives in you. I know that it lives in you. He's saying, I know your faith in Christ Jesus is strong. Now he's, he's, he's kind of setting him up to kind of challenge him in a way, in an encouraging way, but he's first, he's starting with encouragement. 
Now, if I were to kind of be doing this to uh, the congregation here, I would uh, say something like this. You are a people of strong faith in Jesus, and especially notable in this congregation is your love towards one another. That's a kind of a characteristic of this conversation. Now, if you've ever read the Bible, you know that's a good thing. Okay, we're going to say more about that in a minute. I'd say this, you've got a solid foundation. But now here's the thing. We're not where we're going to be in the future. And so we, we, there's things to do, things that I want to encourage you in and encourage us in as a congregation to keep moving forward. And that's what Paul does here with Timothy. Timothy, he says to him, for this reason. So he's saying, because of this foundation, I know that you have strong faith living in you. And for this reason, I want to give you a word of exhortation, challenge somewhat. He says, let me remind you to, in your uh, version in the bulletin, it says rekindle. There, a uh, better translation, I think a better uh, uh, version that I'm using says uh, fan into flame. That's a, that's a little bit more better imagery than rekindle. He says fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So he's saying... I'm going to talk about what it is in a minute. He's saying there's a gift in you that came when I laid hands on you um, and imparted something to you, and you need to pour gasoline on it because it's kind of like it's kind of like a little coal. It's kind of growing a little bit dead. It's going out, and you need to fan it and get, stoke the, fl- the fire and get it going. And put some gasoline on the on the coal so that it erupts back into the fire that it once was. Now, Bible scholars have a little bit of a debate about what this gift is that Paul laid in him. And some would say, well, it's the gift of ordination to the office of ministry. But actually, I think better if you do that exegesis, as a fancy scholar, we're digging into the text. Um, what it, he's actually talking about in the context is the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's, this is because the gift, the Holy Spirit is called the gift of God in other places in the Bible. And that word gift is uh, charisma, where we get the word grace, or we get, also get the word spiritual gift. Um, and so Paul is saying the, the work of the Holy Spirit in you, Timothy, for whatever reason, it's kind of... It's kind of like a coal right now, and it needs to get rekindled. It needs to get fanned back into flame. Now, he says, you know, it, it's, it's dormant, right? It, it's alive, but it's not actively growing. That's a description of a lot of where a lot of Christians are at today in the world. They have the Holy Spirit in them because of their faith in Jesus and their, their baptismal identity, but it's kind of just like a coal that's starting to go out, and they need to fan it into flame. Right? So it might, might be some of us here today might just know that, man, we really need to get that coal uh, alive again. Now, he says this, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, the um, Good News Bible has, puts this, gets it dead right with the way that it interprets it, and it, it says it like this, For the spirit that God has given us does not make us timid. Instead, his spirit fills us with power, love, and self-control. You see, the spirit-filled follower of Jesus should not be stagnant or ineffective in their faith life. Because cowardice or fear or timidity, sometimes this gets translated, it should not be characteristic of a spirit-filled follower of Jesus, right? And I'm not talking about introvert versus extrovert and things like that, and you're, you're in trouble if you're an introvert uh, because you don't talk to everybody that you see. But what I'm saying is that there needs to be a boldness that the Holy Spirit is active in doing his work in us. There's going to be growth happening that we are becoming increasingly more bold about what? Sharing the gospel. 
telling people there's a savior. What you need is not self-help and what you need is not more yoga classes. What you need is not uh, more knowledge from college. That was a good rhyme. What you need is a savior, right? That's the world. That's what the broken world, a broken world needs to hear is that they need a savior who loves them unconditionally, will forgive their sins and give them a new life. This is a message that I think particularly the American church desperately needs to hear, right? It's do, do we just profess Jesus, say we believe things, or is our faith in Jesus actually transforming the way we live, every aspect of life? I'm reading a book on, right now on Christian identity by a Bible scholar named Klein Snodgrass, and he says this, Snodgrass, that's an interesting name. Uh, sorry if your last name is Snodgrass. Um, he says this, in our day, Christianity is seen as a minor attachment to people's well-guarded identities rather than the ground-shaking transformation of identity it really is. No wonder the American church is declining and has less and less influence in people's lives. Many believe all the right things, but have a gnawing sense that there is no reality to their faith. But he says this, but faith is not about believing stuff. Biblical faith is about being attached to Christ, bound to him, and participating in life with Christ and having your identity transformed by that participation. That was kind of a lengthy quote. You see, so many people have a timid, weak-hearted Christian faith because, one, uh, the gospel has not transformed their identity at the core. It's an add-on. It's an attachment. I believe in Jesus because I want to go to heaven when I die. That's not really what Christianity is ultimately about. It's about union with Christ Jesus so that it transforms you in the here and now, right? The, now, the second reason is this. People are not, a lot of Christians are not seeking after or walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit's power. Even leaders, you see, Timothy needed to hear this message, and he was a great leader in the early church. And Paul said, you can't neglect and forget about, you actually actively need to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in you, because if you just sit passively, you're not going to grow, you're not going to be the leader God gave you, meant you to be, and you're not going to uh, live out the destiny and the purpose that God has on your life. You actually have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and seek more of his presence, his power, and his activity in your life. There's a, there's a cooperation that God invites us into that actually transforms our identity at the core of who we are. And Paul says to Timothy, he says, God gave us a spirit, the Holy Spirit, of power and of love and of self-discipline or sound-mindedness, as some Bible translators translate it. Now, I would say this, out of these three things... The Holy Spirit affects in a Christian's life. It is power that is most noticeably missing. The Holy Spirit is all about power. He is the personal presence and power of God. Uh, one author put it like this. He said, I think it is fair to note that if there is one thing that differentiates the early church from its 21st century counterpart, it is in the level of awareness and experience of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Ask any number of people today from all sectors of Christendom to define or describe Christian conversion or Christian life, and the most noticeable feature of that definition would be its general lack of emphasis on the active dynamic role of the Holy Spirit. People can tell you where they go to church, how long they've gone there, when they got baptized, uh, the sort of uh, doctrinal beliefs that they have. But how often do you hear people say, man, this is what the Spirit of God's doing in my life lately? Man, we saw God do this the other day in our services. It was amazing. Healed this woman, right? 
That's something that's largely missing from a lot of Christians' lives. We forget that the Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the divine trinity, the eternal uncreated God who we actually can communicate with and who communicates to us and is the actual uh, transforming power of God in our lives. So with Paul... I say to all of us, let's fan into flame the power of the Holy Spirit that God has deposited into our hearts and let's watch what Jesus does when we do that. That's where you say amen. All right. Now, he's already begun to do some powerful things and I'm going to comment on that in a minute. And he's watching to see if we are going to be good stewards of what he's begun to do here. If we are going to continue to pursue his presence obey his leading and seek his joy giving life giving power as a church community jesus in the book of revelation he addresses specific church communities he has a destiny and a purpose for every church community and the more we seek him the more we're going to learn about the calling and the destiny for our church's life in this generation and at this time i don't know about you but that's exciting that god gives us access to know our destiny and our purpose as a church to cooperate with him now i'm excited about this especially because i'm seeing a lot of you run fast and hard after this. And it's really exciting to see that going on. And I want to encourage you uh, to continue to pursue that. Now, I'm not saying we're all going to be perfectly, uh, completely filled with the Spirit and just got it all figured out when we wake up tomorrow morning. The Christian life of discipleship is a process, but it's a process in which we have to actively cooperate, position ourselves so that the work that God wants to do in us, that we're able to, to, to steward it and to receive it and to let it change us. Right? If we're constantly shutting out his voice or living a life that's so distracted by the things of this world that we're not giving him time of day to give him our ear and our hearts, the transformation won't happen. It just won't. It doesn't happen on its own. It's because God gave us free will, doesn't want us to be robots. He wants us to be involved in the transformation of our, our Christian identity. So the question is, for us as individuals is how can I start putting Jesus at the center of every area of my life, right? Not, not just have him as an attachment in my devotional time or, or at church, but how can I make him the center of everything in my life, my job, my employment, my workplace, my social sphere, my family life, my circle of friends, my vacations. How does Jesus fit in to all of these things? And, and, you know, the, 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 the way that we can answer that question about how much is Jesus a part of all these areas of life will really say something about how Christian we really are because it's all about Jesus, amen? It's all about him. Now, <clears throat> I want to say a little bit about our church. Now, this is kind of my heart to heart about, about our church. Now, you, you, you know that uh, since early this year, I had a very life-changing experience rather dramatic with the Holy Spirit. It was awesome. But it has really shifted my focus on some things. And when I got here and I came to the church, I knew that the, the church had a past with healing ministry and, and supernatural gifts of the Spirit and things like that. that. But I thought, yeah, that's fine. I'm open to all that. But what I'm going to do, I'm here. I'm a Bible teacher. I'm going to teach the Bible and people are going to grow in their lives. And that's what I did for, uh, that's what I did for two years, two and a half years. And, um, but the Holy Spirit had a bigger plan 
And, and he, and he, and he changed my life and he said, actually now you're going to start thinking about the anointing that is on this church from what happened here, particularly in the 1960s and 1970s, where people were getting filled with the Holy Spirit, being healed miraculously of, of, of sin, sickness, and disease. And God was growing this place, uh, like, uh, like, fi- like wildfire, right? And so my view started to shift and I thought, I'm still going to teach the Bible, but I started reading the Bible with new eyes and I thought, how can I read this and teach this and not teach miracles and signs and wonders and spiritual gifts? It's just, it's all in there. The New Testament is just flooded with those things, things that Jesus actually commands us to do and to walk in. So my, my, now here's what I need you to hear. My pursuit of supernatural Christianity or what I would call normal biblical Christianity really is what it is. It's not a rejection of the Episcopal tradition. It's not a rejection of the liturgy and the sacraments. The liturgy and the sacraments are gifts from God, very supernatural things actually, handed down to us across the ages and they're very important. The, the liturgy and the sacraments are like a boat that are carrying us through the ages faithfully and giving us a context and a structure for worship. But they were never meant to be an end in themselves. Do you know that there won't be sacraments in heaven? Because sacraments are the way that God conveys his grace to us here on earth through earthly means like bread, wine, water, oil, and things like that. So they're not an end in themselves. This beautiful worship that we are privileged to have is a structure within which we invite God, the Holy Spirit, to reshape our hearts, to speak to us personally and corporately, and to inspire awe at his beauty and his holiness. That's what all this fancy looking stuff is about. It's a reminder that God is beautiful, that the heavenly realm is all about beauty and glory. And so when we see all this stuff and the candles, which are, we're getting thrifty here, but that's all right. We want, we want to be that way. Um, it's all meant to take our minds and our hearts and go, gosh, if this is beautiful. Oh, what about God in his throne room in heaven? Amazing. Unbelievable. Let me say something. Um, in just a moment here. So you, you all know that the passion of my heart really is to see the sick healed. I really just have a passion for that. God has given me a passage to see, to, to see people who are oppressed by evil set free. That's what Jesus does. Um, to see new spiritual gifts released on all of you that you can use and it will empower you to spread the gospel and to build up the community and encourage, to encourage one another because that's what they're for. They're for the common good. And I see, I want our awareness. This is what I want. Fundamentally, I want our awareness and experience of the Holy Spirit to be the usual. I want people to leave here on Sunday going, man, I encountered God there. It was, it was real. He's real. I saw him do things. I felt him. I knew him. He was in the atmosphere. It was, it was charged with his presence. That's, that's what I want. Now, I know that that can tend to make people uncomfortable sometimes. But God acts in strange and unexpected ways. Just read the Bible. (laughs) When Jesus went to church, he cast out demons right in the middle of a worship service in the synagogue. I haven't done that yet. But it disrupted things. You know what the religious folks did to him. You know what, you know how it ended up for him. Now, now I want to say just a few words because this is fun history stuff about Good Shepherd's history. I've been talking to somebody, uh, meeting with someone who's been around, who was around in the 60s and 70s when uh, a priest named Father Al Durrance came into this place. And there's a few of you who were here all the way back then. And you've got good stories too. But Father Al Durrance became the, the rector of this church in 1964. 
Uh, the um, charismatic renewal, for lack of a better term, had hit the mainline churches and the Episcopal church, which was just an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the country where people were seeing signs and wonders and miracles. They were still doing the liturgy and the sacraments, but it was the, the churches were filled with the Holy Spirit. It largely, God used largely at the, for, to start that renewal in the church an Episcopal priest named Dennis Bennett. You can read his story uh, in his book, Nine O'Clock in the Morning. But Father Al was someone who was touched at that time. His life was filled with the Holy Spirit. He came here in 1964, and it was just a chapel. <laughs> it was just the chapel at this time. And his message, according to uh, historians, was this. Jesus wants to meet people in very experiential ways and make them whole. He emphasized the healing ministry, naturally. People were getting healed. People were getting delivered from evil spirits. People were getting baptized in the Holy Spirit and seeing new spiritual gifts released in their life. And you know what happened? They outgrew the chapel. That's why this was built. So just think about this for a minute. This building that we stand in, sit in, and worship in today was built because of the work, the presence, and the power of God the Holy Spirit moving in this place. I think that's cool. That's why this is here. So this is his house. This, is, this belongs to him, just like it did in 1968 when it was built. It still belongs to him today. And what are we supposed to do? Whew. Fan into flame. Fan into flame the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, I believe we're called to be a place that is spiritually alive in our worship in the practice of spiritual gifts and whatever else our Heavenly Father calls us to be as a church community. On Palm Sunday, um, this past Palm Sunday, or it was uh, Palm Saturday actually because it was the, the afternoon before the uh, Saturday night service, I was in my office spending uh, the afternoon in prayer with the Lord. And I felt the Lord say to me, what you need to do tonight at the service is after the passion reading, which is that long reading about the death of Jesus, is I want you to share with the congregation that um, the cross is uh, for the forgiveness of sins, but it also in the cross is, pro what is provided for is the healing of sickness because it says in Isaiah, he bore our sicknesses and carried our diseases. Um, and so I was like, Lord, really, do I have to like this? It would be really strange to just wouldn't be part of the normal routine. But after the passion was reading over, I said, I think what we should do, and I said a few words about healing. I said, I think what we should do is just have a time of healing ministries or anybody who would like us to pray for them. If you can't come up here, we'll come to you. And so a little gathering, I don't know, 20, 25 people, and we prayed over some people that night. And notably that night, a woman who had come whose sciatica was so bad that she could barely walk, she barely got to church. By the time Eucharist was ready, she was going to have Eucharist brought out to her, but by the time we got to the Eucharist, she was walking up and was fine. And I knew, I knew, that night that something was changing, that God was starting to do something new because he saw a church gathered together praying with faith and he touched some people. And I knew that it was the beginning of a new era for us to move in. And then, you know, a few weeks later, it was someone's foot pain, gone. Then a few weeks later, it was someone's knee pain, gone. And then it was dramatically, and some of you have heard the testimony, she's not here today, I don't see her, but MRSA. Somebody who was getting their affairs in order because the medicine had stopped working 
was listening to a sermon on healing, left the church feeling like some heaviness had lifted off her body, went to the doctor two days later, did ran labs and blood work and all of this stuff. And the doctor looked at it and said, I've been working with you for years and I know your body and your tests and your research and everything and I don't get it, but you don't have MRSA, you don't have a staph infection and your immune system levels are perfect. (laughs) Friends, we can literally say that God is doing miracles at Good Shepherd. That would not be a lie. That would not be an exaggeration. But it's only the beginning. It's only the beginning. Do this. Read the Gospels and and look at how central the ministry of healing was to Jesus. 40% of the narrative parts of the Gospel are Jesus healing people or freeing them from demons. I don't know how the church has neglected it so widespread today. Probably because it's messy, it's hard. Not everybody gets healed that we pray for. It raises a lot of questions. It raises a lot of frustrations. I have issues that I haven't been healed of. I stand up here with a, with a 53 degree curvature in my spine. It's been causing me a lot of pain lately. It's messy. But the thing, that doesn't mean that God's not healing and that God doesn't want to heal. I haven't yet seen an aurora borealis, but a lot of people have and experienced it. Now, I think for us, We don't step away from the healing ministry or supernatural ministry because it's messy and it's difficult to figure out. We step closer and we move closer in and we trust God to teach us more about it and to show us more of his power and we learn from him and uh, from other people who are more experienced than us. That's That's where I am and I'm excited. You see, Jesus died to forgive our sins. That is absolutely central to the gospel. I would never, ever say anything else is actually, that's the greatest miracle of all, is that you and I who live in rebellion in the depths of our hearts against God, God looked down on us and he said, I love them. I want to make a way for them to know me. And Jesus came and bore the judgment for us so that we will never have to bear judgment for our sins when we meet him. But he also died to make people whole. And when we see a body made whole, a sickness cast out, a disease healed, someone freed from evil, we see a sign of the kingdom. It's not here yet in all of its fullness, but Jesus said the kingdom of God is here. It's arrived. It's among you. It's at work. It's spreading throughout the world. And when we see these miracles, we're reminded that there's a kingdom coming in which everybody, everybody will have no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow. And what we want to do to demonstrate the power of God and the salvation of Jesus Christ is to pray and trust that God is going to do miracles. We just uh, listened to a talk in our class this morning. One uh, scholarly researcher did research on global Christianity, and he said that 70% over the globe, in the world, 70%, roughly 70% of people who are converting to Christianity, and this is largely in the global south, is because they see signs and wonders and miracles. They see the power of God. Villages in the bush in Africa see some, a couple Christians come in and say, is there anybody who's sick who needs prayer? And they pray for someone who's blind and their eyes open and everybody comes to know Jesus Christ. That's, that's, the, that's the goal, is to bring people to know him and to demonstrate his love and his power. I'm almost done. This is important. It's the last thing that I want to say. Um, without love, we will fail. If we don't move together in love, and this isn't like a, I'm not scolding anybody secretly, secretively or anything. I'm just saying love has to be the foundation of all of what we do in ministry. 
whether it's supernatural ministries, whether it's serving uh, the poor in the food bank or serving uh, the, our, our special needs school, whatever it is, at the, at the foundation of that has to be love. And I want to read you something as a, as a reminder. This is often read at wedding services. St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, right? That's a spiritual gift. But have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Remember, Jesus told his disciples, a new commandment I give unto you. Listen up, guys. I'm God. I'm, God said, I'm giving you a new commandment that I want you to hear loud and clear. Love one another as I have loved you. If we do this, friends, we'll be in good shape. We'll be in good shape as a church. If we love one another as he loved us, laying down his life to take our old life and to give us his life so that we could be made new. Our collect of the day today, it's a good one, said this, Almighty and everlasting God, you are always more ready to hear than we to pray and to give more than we either desire or deserve. God, the Holy Spirit, desires to give us more, more of Jesus, more healing, more freedom, more spiritual power, more joy. And the question for us is, will we take it? Will we take it? Let's pray. Father, I love what you're doing here. I love what I see happening in the midst of your people, Lord. And we we need your direction and your guidance, Holy Spirit. You're the spirit of truth. And you, uh, Jesus, you tell us that the the spirit of truth will declare to us the things that are to come. You will give us guidance for the future from your very mouth. So we, we just come before you as a church and we celebrate you, Lord, in your risen glory. We thank you, Lord, that death could not hold you and the veil tore before you so that we could enter into the holy place, Lord. Let us never forget that at the core of our identity is the fact that we are loved by a good heavenly father. We are called to love one another sacrificially. But Lord, as we move forward into this new territory of just reclaiming what you've done here in the past and what you want to now do here in a new day, we ask for your protection, your provision, your guidance. And Lord, we just pray for an outpouring of joy in this place, that we would be a place that worships you in spirit and in truth, that truly honors your name. And that when you look down at this place, you would say, there's a church that is alive, listening to my spirit that my blessing is upon. Lord, we love you, and now we come together to worship you in song. We pray all of these things in the name of your mighty Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.